At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We're glad you're here as we turn to the book of Genesis for our newest series, Family, Why Bother? In the pages of Genesis, we'll discover all kinds of hurting relationships that prove families have been dysfunctional from the very beginning. Join us as we uncover the only one who can renew and restore our broken families. Wow, guys, what about that, all right? One of my favorite lines in that song is the line that God is madly in love with you and just understanding that love that neither heights nor depth, no matter how far or wide, nothing can separate us from God. Can I get an amen? Amen. Yes. And so here we are, the church gathered, remembering, taking communion, and we're in our third week of our series, Family. And so I want to start off talking about basketball. Does anyone here love basketball? Do we have any avid basketball fans? We got a couple people who are basketball fans, right? I fell in love with basketball in 2003. All right, if you know my story, I played ball. I was a starting center, right? No, point guard. And, and I was able to play some high school ball. And, and luckily, I was able to play uh, three years of collegiate basketball. I just love the game. I wasn't the best, but I love the game. And in 2003, I fell in love with basketball. And if you know anything about 2003, 2004, that's when the Detroit Pistons won the championship, Right? And so here I am, I'm watching this blue-collar team, and they're working their way through the season, getting better, making that big trade for Rasheed Wallace, going into playoffs, one of the best defensive teams, which I believe ever, the second coming of the bad boys, right? And so here are the Detroit Pistons, and they're in the championship, and they're against the Los Angeles Lakers. Yeah, there's no way we're going to win, right? I mean, they got the glove, Gary Payton. They got the black mamba and Kobe Bryant. They got the mailman, I think UPS or um, Amazon Prime and uh, Carl Malone, right? They got uh, the Diesel and Shaquille O'Neal. They got four Hall of Famers on that team. And here are these people who are like the island of of misfit toys. And, And here they are together. They've been traded. They've been undrafted. And here they are, the the Detroit Pistons. Everyone thought they were going to get smacked. Then what happened? What happened is we see that the Detroit Pistons, they weren't afraid. They weren't intimidated. And even though the Lakers, they thought they had it in the bag. They thought they were going to win. They thought that there was no way the Detroit Pistons could match them. They came out and they literally and figuratively got smacked. They lost. First game, here comes Rasheed Wallace. He makes a three. And I knew from the beginning it was going to be the Pistons, right? But then as they came back and they won game two, the Lakers, it was a five-game series and they got annihilated. It was a five-game sweep, it felt like. And so what does this have to do with family? What does this have to do with our series and going into the third week? And, and I believe it's because of this statement we're going to be focusing on a lot today. And it's that word pride. And maybe you've heard the statement, pride comes before the fall. 
It's a statement we've heard and, and maybe we have, have seen online or we've read in the Word or we've heard preached on. Uh, and, and it's a phrase we hear often, almost becomes a, a cliche. Yep, pride's going to come before the fall. Uh, but, but do you believe it? Is that something where, okay, I've heard it time and time again, but I think one of the dangers with well-known truths is we often accept them. Yeah, pride comes before the fall, but we actually don't really think about it. Yeah, pride comes before the fall, but, but do we allow that to permeate our soul and, and actually apply it to our lives, to not just know cognitively that it's true, but in our life, to, to protect ourselves from our own prideful falls. And so if you think about it, the story of the Bible is, is there's so much pride with, with individuals, negative pride, whether it's, uh, I think about David and Goliath, right? Here's this giant, and, and he's prideful, and he's mocking Israel, and the Philistines are mocking Israel, and, and they are just, yeah, there's no way you're going to beat us. And then when Goliath fell... The people of the Philistines, they fled because they never thought that their champion would actually lose. And so what they do, they, they scattered. What about uh, Nazi Germany? You have Adolf Hitler, and, and he thought, man, I can do a two-front war. I can be battling on the east of Europe and the west. And so he went into Russia. He went into Russia in the middle of winter. And what happened? Because he had his pride and his, his troops, uh, they didn't have food, uh, they were freezing to death, and they were stalled, and eventually it led to their defeat. And so time and time again, whether in the Word or in our lives or in history, we see stories of pride, and then someone fell. It's because pride blinds us. Most people who are prideful don't think they're prideful. You guys know that? Think about the prideful people in your life. Probably they struggle to believe that they battle with pride. Because pride, when it blinds us, it, it leaves us utterly unequipped to deal with struggles, to deal with sufferings, to deal with setbacks, with tragedies. When we actually fall, we, we fall because we don't believe that we can fall. We think we have it all together. And this is the great danger of pride, believing everything is good while we, while we gleefully stroll off the cliff and realize we're at the bottom when we hit rock bottom. Now, I know we're a perfect church, right? <laughs> You guys, you're, you're great. You don't have any issues. But if we're an actual church community, you probably can say one, two, three, four times where, man, I hit rock bottom. And it probably was because of pride. You had your friends telling you things or your, or your, or your parents, someone, and you just, your pride, you weren't listening. You weren't, you weren't ready to listen. So as we continue this series on family, and we want to specifically focus on the impact of pride on us as individuals and also on our families, because I think last week we, we did a, 
a great job of just sharing about the beauty of God's family, the beauty of how he designed community. But if you've ever been part of a family in one way, shape, or form, which is all of us, we could tell each other that even the best families, the families that you look at and you're like, man, they seem to have it all together. Even the best families still come short of that infinite love and that, and that perfect community. And why do all families fall short? It's because of what we talked about last week, because of the very first family. We all descended from the very first family, and because they fell, we are all impacted by that fall and, and that perfect love and that perfect unity before the fall that, that Adam and Eve had with God. You know, we, will, well, the next time we'll experience that is in heaven when, when things are perfect. But, but in the interim, we have to work through some of our struggles, so now, again, we're fallen. Sin has entered the world. Adam and Eve, they're sent out to the east of the garden. And, and I want to talk about the family after the fall. I want to talk with the family after the fall. Genesis chapter 4. And I want to dig into this because I believe it's so vital to see the early dynamics. Uh, Genesis 4, there's just so much going on. And so let's just go ahead and read the first two verses uh, to start off in Genesis 4. And I'm going to go ahead and read it, and we'll also have it up here on the projector. Now, Adam knew his wife Eve, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. And again, she bore his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, and Cain was a worker of the ground. And so here we go. It's, it's after the fall, and, and now God has given them a, a measure of blessing. He has allowed them to, to bear children, and he, they have Cain, and they have Abel, and it even has this prophetic statement that they will, their offspring will crush the head of the serpent, and so we see that God is continuing to, to give them blessing and protection. And, and as you know, you know, this part of the story is, is even after the fall is, is more encouraging than what we're going to read next. Because we think it's dark now, after the fall, out of the garden. It, it's it's going to get darker. It, it's going to get more difficult. And that's because of this statement, which is our, which is our, our centerpiece of the day, which is faith, faithless pride destroys fallen people. I'm going to say that again. Faithless pride destroys fallen people. And so in this story, they're out of the garden, they have these kids, and if you've heard this story before, maybe you've heard it a thousand times, maybe this morning's the first time, but you have this dynamic of Cain and Abel. I remember when I first read this to my, my foster daughter, she never heard the story in her life. So she's like, what? <laughs> that brother killed that brother? Man, he must have stole his Netflix password, you know, or whatever. She just did not understand, man, what led to this. And, and so we see that the root of Cain's hatred, it, we, we see the different dynamics of it. And, and it really was because 
of his faithless pride. And because of that faithless pride, we see first failure in faith is the front door to pride. Want to know the front door? Not the side door, not the back door, not the screen door. The front door is the failure in faith. Let's jump in again to the word, uh, verse 3. In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of fruit of the ground. And Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and their fat portions. And the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry and his face fell. So here we go. And we got the story of Cain and Abel. It's, it's pretty straightforward. There's, there's not much to miss in here. But we have these two brothers, and, and they bring a sacrifice to God. And so one brings the fruit of the ground, and, and one is a shepherd, and, and he brings his sacrifice, his animal, right? And then in this moment, and this is something you've maybe never thought about before, uh, we don't actually know how Cain and Abel understood that God accepted Abel's sacrifice and, and did not accept Cain's. It's like, did God tell Cain, like, hey, I don't accept yours, Abel's, Abel, I, I accept yours. Like, it just said that he had regard for Abel's and, and he didn't for Cain, and then Cain was, was upset. But regardless, he rejected Cain's sacrifice and he was upset. So it's interesting I want to ask this question because maybe we've never thought about this. Why did God accept Abel's sacrifice and reject Cain's? Historians have five reasons. There's five potential reasons why. And I'll debunk a couple of them. But, but history says that these could potentially be some of the reasons that, that he accepted Abel's and rejected Cain's. One of them is God prefers uh, shepherds to farmers. I said, okay, he always uses shepherds, so that makes sense, and, and farmers he's not as interested in. Second thing is animals, animal sacrifice is more acceptable than plant offerings. It's another theory. And then the third is there's no ability to know why God does what he does. I said, well, God is God. His ways are above your ways, and so there's no way we're going to understand. The fourth reasoning why God accepted Abel's is Abel's faith made his offering acceptable, and then the fifth one was uh, Abel offered better quality gifts than Cain. So historically speaking, they said these potentially could be some of the reasons. Well, out of the five, pretty e it's pretty easy to uh, debunk the first three because, you know, God shows no partiality to occupation, right? Uh, animal sacrifice is more acceptable than plain offerings. In the Old Testament, there's a ton of offerings that were grain offerings, so why would that be any different? And there's no ability to know. I think we see in other pieces of Scripture why God accepted Abel's and why he declined, he declined Cain. So it's pretty reasonable to, to look at the, the fourth one and lean towards that. And we'll dig into Scripture to talk more about that and even the quality and what he offered. But we see here, out of all this, is the scriptures will interpret itself, right? 
Let scripture, most of scripture can interpret scripture. And so we read in Hebrews 11:4, by faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts. Through his faith, though, he died. He still speaks. So to understand the full scope of this story, God allows some revelation in the book of Hebrews. Also, it shows us in the book of John another image and and thing to understand about Cain. It says this in 1 John 3.12. It says, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one and murdered his brother. And why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil and his brother's righteous. In other words, Cain murdering Abel was not his first evil act. You know, so often we look at the extreme acts and we say, man, that's evil. But there usually was compromise and sin way before that led to that big giant action. And so what we see here is he had already committed an act that was evil. And so in this, what we have, the knowledge we have is the sacrifice which he brought. What we know is that this sacrifice which he brought God was seen as, as not right, be evil. Maybe because he, he, he didn't give God the best. Maybe he was just trying to do uh, the bare minimum. Maybe because God just saw the intention of the giver. Abel's faith prompted him to offer God an acceptable sacrifice. And Cain's lack of faith prompted him to offer a a minimalistic and unacceptable sacrifice. This is extremely important for us to understand because I think that so often we as Christ followers, we want to do the bare minimum. Okay, what what do I got to do to that line that's just enough? Right? What do I do that, that I, can, I can still be accepted and loved by God, but, but he'll be cool with me even though I, I gave him this or I just barely gave him this. And so I think with us, uh, we must first understand the chemistry between faith and action because Abel believed God was worthy of worship. Because he believed God was worthy of worship, he gave him the very best. It's like, oh man, this is my God. I want to give him the very best that I possess. And so he, he saw him. He said, man, he is worthy of anything I have. It's his anyways. He's God. I'm a steward of it. I want to give it back to him. And then we see with Cain, just a complete difference. Cain did not believe God was worthy of worship, but still felt obligated to worship. He gave God what he could get away with. See, their beliefs was revealed through their gifts, right? So it's like, okay, actions don't save us. I get that. We are only saved by grace through faith. It is the cross, but actions reveal something. Actions show us something. 
It might not save us, but it's a window to what's actually going on or what we actually care about. Let me give you an illustration. Okay, let's say uh, uh, Dave Varga did our communion meditation. Let's say he invites me to his birthday party. Okay, so he has all his friends over and we're, he got a clown and a blow up and all this stuff. And so we're having a great time and you know, we're, we're just enjoying our time together. And let's say his friends come out and um, they give him uh, a pound of his favorite coffee, right? Let's say they give him a gift card to his favorite restaurant. Uh, let's say they, they get him the, to go skydiving. They pay for his skydiving and Rocky Mountain climbing, right? right. Let's say they, they give him all these very thoughtful, kind gifts. And so let's say I come in and, and I get him a gift too, right? Let's say I, I give him uh, a bag and it's, it's tie, a plastic Kroger bag, and it's tied. I hand it to him. He opens it up, and it's a half-eaten pizza of Little Caesars, okay? And, and then also, I have a Jimmy John's clip card, and I have four out of five clips, so if he gets one more sandwich, then he'll get another one free, right? And so he has a half-eaten Little Caesars pizza, and he has a, a clip card of uh, four out of five Jimmy John's sandwiches. He'll get another six-inch sandwich free, and, and I give it to him. And what is that going to tell David Varga uh, that, that I think about him, right? Well, I got him a gift. I'm like everyone else, right? Like, what's the big deal? You know, I got him a gift. They got him a gift. I got him a gift. No, you see, my gift reveals what I actually think about him, right? Which isn't necessarily true, okay? But the thing is, <laughs> my gifts will show him, man, this guy, he doesn't really care about me. Or man, this guy really, like he took like five minutes to do that, or this wasn't thoughtful, or that I, it's already growing mold on the pizza. Like the whole point is, is our feelings in these matters, how, how someone receives a gift, it, it, we feel something when we see, man, the person really cares about me, Right? It shows us something. The quality of the gift shows us something. Not necessarily the money, but, but the quality. And so what was true for Abel and Cain, it, it is so true for us. What we give God does not make us righteous. However, what we give God does reveal what we believe about him. Consider what you give God. Think about this for a second. What does it reveal about what you truly believe about him? When you give your time, whether you, you give your time to serving the church or, or, or how about, you know, attendance, man, I'll, I'll be there once or 1.5 times a month. Or, or, hey, maybe the time you spend during the week and you're spending time in, in dis, being disciplined to pray and study the word, right? Like these things reveal something in us that we believe about God. Are you giving him your best? Or are you giving him your leftovers? Do you set your schedule around the rhythms of God? Or do you schedule God around what's most convenient for you? What does your calendar reveal about your faith? 
when you give God your talents. I mean, we just had a very talented worship team up here, right? They've been uh, working on the songs in the week. They were here around 7, 7.30, practicing, singing. It's a big commitment, right? Our sound team, they're here, and they're here both services, right? It, it reveals, man, it's not just, hey, I'm going to go and I'm singing a song or I'm drumming. It shows, man, we're willing to give of my time because I believe in the power of worship and guiding people into song and guiding people into Christ. You know, when you, when you give of your treasures, are you giving your best or your leftovers. No one likes to talk about it in church, but what does your bank statement show? That's, that's something that's taboo in church, whether it's supporting ministries, whether it's supporting specifically your church, whether it's supporting missionaries, whether it's investing in people. You know, man, they, they just can't get over this hump. The whole point is what we give God reveal something about what we believe about God. And with Cain, he had given God a faithless sacrifice. And in that moment, when God said, I, I reject this, almost like his leftovers, Cain's pride rebelled against God, and then he wanted to give God his worst. Cain should have not been surprised that God had rejected his faithless sacrifice. And so in that moment, instead of, you know, running to God, running to his mercy and, and repenting and enjoying God, Cain actually became angry, depressed, rebellious, and his failure in faith was the front door to his pride. And his pride grew and grew, and so did his sin. Which leads in the second thing. The more pride, the more sin. The more prideful we are, the more that sin is going to be in our hearts and in our lives. And so we read in Genesis chapter 4, verse 6 through 9, this is what it says. The Lord said to Cain, why are you angry? And why has your face fallen? If you do well... Will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is to you, but you must rule over it. Then Cain spoke to Abel, his brother. And when they were in the field, Cain rose up against his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel, your brother? He said, I do not know. Am I my brother's keeper? So here we have a moment, a tragic story to say the least, and, and his sacrifice, it's unacceptable, and he becomes prideful and he becomes angry, and then in this moment, God actually addresses his anger. You see this? God still was ministering to him. Even though he had given this, this sacrifice, his scraps, not his whole heart, he was still ministering to him. He said, hey, Cain, why are you angry? And in that moment, verse 6 and 7 are just a remarkable notes of the gentleness and mercy of God from the earliest pages of the Bible. God is pleading almost 
with the sinner to repent and experience mercy. He's opening, he's giving him a door to, to come to him and share his pains and share his hurts. But in that moment, despite God's pleading, we see Cain overcame or overcome by sin. And so he allowed this sin to fester and fester, and then it turned into murder. It's so intriguing to me because he gets to the place where he calls his brother out, he murders him, and then God calls out to him again, and then it says, then the Lord said to Cain, where is Abel your brother? He said, I do not know, am I, am I my brother's keeper? And it's another where question. With Adam and Eve, where are you? And they were hiding, but then they came out of hiding, and even though they had done wrong, they had went to God, and he clothed them. And then here's another instance, uh, where's your brother? And, and it's completely opposite from Adam and Eve because he said, what, what are you, am I my brother's keeper? Adam and Eve, they're, you know, maybe blaming and, and I'm the victim and all this stuff, but ultimately they came out to God and he clothed them and he took care of them. And, and, and on the contrary, Cain is like, dude, man, I, I, I'm not keeping my brother. Borderline saying, hey, if you can't keep track of him, you know, you, you got some of your own stuff, right? He started to almost put it back onto God. And it's so intriguing to me in this moment how Cain just continued to allow that sin to fester, that hatred to fester. And, and it almost is like a twofold response that he's, he's almost like denying responsibility, trying to shift the argument. If that were not enough, Again, it just almost feels like he's blaming God because pride always defends and minimizes sin. Pride always defends and minimizes sin. So as we go into the final point, because we sin and because it just requires humility, in humility, we can admit what we've done wrongly and find reconciliation. You know, I think that's so important for us because as James 5.16 says, to confess our sins to one another and pray for one another that we may be healed because the prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. And so we have that ability in our community to confess, to lean on one another. And I think that's massive, but ultimately, if we continue to allow, allow pride in our life, pride will kill relationships, too. <laughs> it will kill the relationships that matter most to us. Let's look at this again in, in verse 10 through 14. This is what it says, And the Lord said, What have you done? The voice of your brother's blood is crying to me from the ground, and now you are cursed from the ground, which has opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it shall no longer yield to you its strength. You shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on earth, Cain said to the Lord. My punishment is greater than I can bear. Behold, you've driven me today away from the ground, and from the face I shall be hidden. I shall be a fugitive and a wanderer on the earth. Whoever finds me will kill me. And so the effect of his pride is a more stark rebuke than even Adam and Eve. I'm going to separate you from your comforts. I'm going to separate you from your family. Maybe some of them even want to kill you. 
Cain's pride separated him from God and his consequences were pretty intense. It's like the farmer being cut off from the soil or, or the firstborn being cut off from the promise. Cain is separated from his family. And at this point, the only people we know for certain on the earth were, were his family. It's not like there was this great population at this time. And so in the end, Cain's pride led him into deep sin and separated him from every comfort and hope he had for his life. It, it makes me think of the movie uh, Lord of the Rings. I love Lord of the Rings. But it makes me think of uh, Smeagol, right? Gollum. If you're an avid Lord of the Rings fan, you know that he was a normal person. And then he saw this ring. And, and he desired this ring so bad that he even killed one of his close friends. And so he murdered a close friend, and then he cut himself off from society, holding the ring, changing his countenance, becoming this despicable creature, barely recognizable from who he once was, thinking that he had the power of the ring when really the only power was in the ring controlling him. Like, like Gollum and this ring, faithless pride destroys fallen people. But that doesn't have to be the end of the story. It didn't have to be the end of Cain's story. God extends mercy, putting a mark on him to preserve his life. As Cain walked on the face of the earth each day, he still gave him opportunity of repentance. You know, on this side of the cross, the invitation to repentance, it, it is even clear. We all have the opportunity. Whether we want to repent and give our life to Christ for the very first time, knowing that he paid for sin, or maybe we are a Christ follower and we've just fallen into pride and we've fallen into sin and we need to ask God forgiveness. We need to go to someone like James 5.16 and confess our sins to them and confess our sins to God. But we need to remember, even in the story, God still gave Cain the opportunities. So don't let pride keep you and hold you from the embrace of the Father. Don't let, don't let your pride turn into this great sin. Don't let pride destroy your family. Lean into the Father. If there's anything you need to give up, don't wait. Don't wait till later. Don't wait till tonight. Go to God now. Don't just go and be like Cain, wandering. Go to the Father. He's waiting, arms open, ready to accept you, ready to love you, ready to forgive you. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself today.